0: Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. This week on the podcast, we have one of our good friends of the program, Marvie Valcourt, has been helping us since we kicked off the Center for Music Innovation back in 2014 before she became Associate Director of Marketing at the Los Angeles Opera. Please enjoy this session, which is a little bit backwards, as we're going to start with the end. We wrapped up talking about how in the world she ended up going from rock and roll in New York to the opera in Los Angeles. Then we're gonna swing back to what she does at the LA Opera and really interesting elements for those who are doing marketing in all sorts of areas to think about how to use digital uh, influencers, digital marketing, to try to both build existing audiences, find new audiences and engage new communities, be they local or tourists, in an old visual, multimedia, multi-language platform that is opera. So enjoy this one. And thanks for your patience. We've been a little bit out of not having podcasts for a bit as we've been dealing with South by Southwest in a great way. We'll have some things coming out of South by Southwest shortly. And as well, working with students on some really great projects, which will be at our upcoming May Future of Music in Los Angeles continuing event. More on that to come next week. So enjoy the podcast and more to follow.
1: How did you come out to L.A.? So Los Angeles, I am born and raised a New Yorker Mm and always will be, but I have lived in Los Angeles for 20 years. um, I'm a graduate of the music business program at NYU, which gave me a lot of opportunities um, to grow in that industry.
0: So what did you do after business? Music business school.
1: So after, I, I actually, my senior year, I was actually working full time, and I took classes in one day of the week from <laughs> That's 8 a.m. A, a, a To goal. 8 p.m. So I can work. But I was already working uh, my senior year of college uh, for a music management company called Overland that managed the Ramones and the Talking Heads. Okay, wait, wait, okay. Well, how did, okay, keep going, keep going, because I want to know how uh, this got from there to opera. B-52s, Jane's Addiction. So... Um, as a, as a young person in New York, it was a great opportunity. It was going into the height of the music industry, um, and I got to learn a lot of different facets. Uh, so, as I said, I started off in music uh, management of all these great bands. Um, I also did radio promotion for a label called Four AD. And then I moved into uh, record labels and doing marketing and artist development at record labels. And so the opportunity came where um, I served as the head of sales and marketing and the GM for a smaller label called Network America through Capitol Records back then. And that was the height of Lilith Fair. They were, their management team coordinated and put together Lilith Fair, the original Lilith Fair in the 90s. And the main artist behind that was Sarah McLachlan. So I got to experience all of that, be a part of it. It was a wonderful, wonderful time as a woman in the music industry. Uh, So they moved me out here to run their West Coast office and build up the team here. And that's how I got to Los Angeles. It's been an exciting road. Um, In 2000, when the music industry imploded. (laughs) (laughs) A recurring theme in this podcast. Do we remember that? Yes. So when the music industry imploded, a lot of people, a lot of my coworkers and friends... Uh, colleagues, we all got displaced, which is a whole study in itself. Is where did these people go? Mm-hmm. And I actually wrote a paper on it um, back in 2004 as a, as I was getting my MBA. But where did all these thousands of people get displaced in the whole the whole force of you know the workforce? And it's so interesting to see where they went. So I was in my 30s, I think, at that point, and I said, you know what? The industry was a great run. I need to slow down. I need to do other things. So I turned to nonprofit. And so I worked at for the city of Santa Monica for seven years doing um, marketing and events. And a lot of it was music events, which was fun. And then after that, I moved into the performing arts world, which honestly, I didn't even realize, just coming from the commercial music industry, that the performing arts was its own little cottage industry like I didn't realize that people were out there marketing with whole different rules and systems rules, and ways of thinking regulations, about the world. yeah and a lot of things are attached to higher education universities a lot of these venues and presenters and so some friend of mine was like you know you should like look at like performing arts I'm like what do you mean like ballet and stuff and they're like yeah like ballet opera Uh, you know, stuff they do at universities. I'm like, wow, I never thought about that. So I looked and there happened to be an opening here at UCLA. And I was lucky enough to um, work with um, David Sefton and then Christy Edmonds following him here at UCLA for six years, which was great. And then from there, I moved on to the opera. So that's how someone from New York goes from the commercial music industry to the opera. through, Through Lilith Fair. Exactly.
0: So that was how Marvie got into LA Opera. Let's now move to the front of the conversation on what she actually does with LA Opera
1: and things you may think about for your organization. So I've been in LA Opera for about three years. And... What I am there to do is promote the opera, but in different ways. So one of the biggest things that I took on was bringing them into the digital space. So that's not only digital advertising, it's our presence on social media, as well as on YouTube, because since we are a visual uh, art form, it's very important to get the videos and the visual out there. So that's part of what I have been doing for the past couple of years. How the heck did you end up at LA Opera? Well, I have been in performing arts for the past uh, 10 years. I actually, in fact, have worked here at UCLA for Royce Hall for a number of years. Um, Music has been my passion for a long time. That was my major uh, music business at NYU. And since then, I've been promoting music in all different forms um, throughout my whole career. So, how did LA Opera beckon? So LA Opera beckoned because I was a point in my life where um, I had been at UCLA for a while and I still wanted to do marketing, and there was a need at LA Opera to bring someone in who understood both the art form as well as uh, the marketing side of things. Um, but again, not just traditional marketing, um, you know bringing the marketing to a bigger base through the use of uh, digital avenues and technology. So LA Opera has been around for many decades? Yes, many decades. Uh, I think, in fact, it celebrated its 30-year anniversary a couple years ago. I think we're in year 32 or maybe 33 at this point.
0: And who is the traditional base for LA Opera and what is its kind of footprint?
1: That is a very interesting question. (laughs) Or who did they think it was before you started taking a look at this digitally? So we have been trying to grow our audience um, aggressively at LA Opera. But to answer your question, the base has been... um, The people who started LA Opera years ago um, wanted to bring culture to Los Angeles. Los Angeles, uh, comparatively, is a very young city. So right now, our base are um, people of higher demographic with um, a lot of uh, uh, expendable income um, that love the arts. And so that's our base audience. But what we try to do at LA Opera is, we want to bring opera to the entire region of Los Angeles We want people to know that they can experience it, that they can come, that there are no barriers to entry, whether it's price or accessibility, uh, language. Um, So all of that, we want to keep putting that message out there, that LA Opera is accessible to all of Los Angeles.
0: So how do you incarnate that?
1: So what we try to do in our messaging is, um, you know, bring a couple of those ideas home to the consumer or even even more importantly to the possible consumer. Um, it's an p- art form that everyone should experience. It's completely live uh, from the orchestra to the singers to the people in the, in the back changing sets. It's all live, there's no, it's basically low tech in that regards of the production. But what we try to do is innovate getting the message out there to, to different folks. Um, LA is a multilingual city, and we are a multilingual art form, which is very rare these days. So it can be, be enjoyed by you know, people who know Italian, or German, or French, or Spanish, but also people who just know English, because all of our art forms, and when we produce the opera and put it up on the stage, um, we have English subtitles subtitles or supertitles supertitles up above the stage but also to the side of the stages so people on screens so
0: you're screened as well as a as a live performing with depth experience in a physical space exactly so has there been other so that's a that's an innovation to this space right so it's it's something that is almost a universal design feature of making everyone understand what the heck are they saying without having to have google translate the darn thing for them or have something in their (laughs) ear to tell them what's going on are there other technological accommodations that opera's done that to make it more accessible as to the language issue
1: Uh, In regards to the language, we try to educate um, folks or the resources are there before people attend an opera. They can read about the story. um, They can find out who the singers are and what language it's going to be sung in. So there's a lot of educational resources that people can learn about before they actually attend the opera. So when they do see something, let's say in French, um, you know, They have read about the story and kind of understand where the story is going while they're watching the opera, in addition to watching the supertitles on stage.
0: Are there apps for that? I mean, are there there elements where they can be engaging with their digital devices ahead of time to have snippets of the story or backgrounds on the artists or other things?
1: Um, well, right now we would love to develop an app for that and but right now everything's housed on our website. You know being part of a nonprofit, we do want to continually innovate and bring technology into the fold, which is one of the things that I try to do for the opera.
0: So we were walking in here and I was walking with one of my colleagues here, not in the music school, I must say that up front, who said, oh, Opera? I never go to the opera. I've been to classical music. Do you find that people in this day and age with so many alternatives have an idea of the opera that may not be what it is today or that there's not a sampling that a lot of people have done of what opera is?
1: I think there are some ideas of what opera is to to various people. And a lot of it is people think that opera is for a certain type of person. And so I'm here to say that opera is actually for everybody. Um, opera is one of the oldest live art forms that is still in existence today. Something that's been on stage for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, and the incredible thing is when when people do actually experience opera for the first time, they become return visitors, return patrons, return customers. Because it impacts you in that way that you do want to go back and see it again.
0: So a lot of it's getting to people young. I I think that I grew up in San Francisco and one of my first live performance memories is I think I was in third grade and went to the San Francisco opera and I can remember almost the texture of the chairs at the time. Is that something that's part of the sort of thinking of opera and opera marketing and ways to work with operas, how to get that into the really young folks?
1: Yeah, we have a great um, education and community outreach department, um, a team of people that go out and educate people on what opera is, both you know, K through 12, through college years and beyond. And it's a very, very important part of our organization. Um, It helps us to achieve our mission of getting opera out to LA and making opera accessible to people in Los Angeles. So it's a very, very important part of what we do. We also have an annual event every year where we simulcast um, our first opera of the season. We simulcast it to do two different parts of Los Angeles and for free, people can come completely for free and attend and actually see opera on the big screen live as it happens at the Dorothy Chandler.
0: And where, where are those places?
1: Uh, usually we have been fortunate enough to do it at the Santa Monica Pier. Oh, fun! And then we usually work with um, city representatives to do it in another location. Um, and last year we had it in Silmar at the county park in Sylmar. Oh, cool.
0: So, um, the other thing that we're talking with my colleague as we're walking in the way and is walking in here, that um, he hasn't been to the opera. And I know for popular music ticket sales studies that I've seen, as the quote unquote average person goes to maybe two to three concerts a year, depending on what, what study you take a look at, and a large percentage of people go to none. I'm assuming there's similar but maybe even more skewed numbers for opera that the average person maybe never has gone to the opera? And maybe, what percentage of people go to the opera and how often do they go?
1: Well, we're, we're lucky enough to have a really strong base. So um, it's one of the art forms that has a strong base of customers, which is what we, what are the foundation of our company relies on is the repeat opera patrons and customers. Um, But yes, in general, for the large part, if you were to take a survey, um, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but a lot of people have not attended opera. And so how do you change that? How do you get the message out there? How do you tell people that we're here and you can come enjoy it, you know, with all the other things that you can do in Los Angeles, all the competition? You could just stay at home and watch Netflix for hours and hours. And some of us do. And some some of us do. (laughs) And some of us need to do that once in a while. But that's the challenge. That's our challenge every single day.
0: Is there an opera equivalent in Netflix-ish somewhere that that I can sit and binge watch opera at home?
1: No, there's not. Not from what I know. Um, But the Metropolitan Opera in New York does do... um, they do great events where they simulcast their operas to movie theaters right now, which seems a little old and antiquated at this point of time. And that's the thing is that there's so much technology out there that we could, you know, you can easily film something and have it live streaming and, you know, do all of that type of stuff live, all those options that you have. Um, but what do, how do we get past those hurdles And the thought process of, you know, having this happen in a live theater. Um, And the rights issues and a few other things that come with it. Of course. And, you know, all of the things that have to do with um, a live theater and an opera house and all the rules and and regulations that you have. So those are the kinds of things that uh, marrying opera and technology, how do you do that today? And how do you convince the people to you know, try it, you know, because it is a leap of faith to do those types of um, innovations, especially Mm -hmm. for an opera company. So is there, um,
0: we were talking a little earlier about buying Facebook ads. So in many ways you need, and, and also talking about how small businesses have challenges thinking, how do I even get started and what the target key performance indicators are trying to get to are to know what you're trying to do I would assume that you are having a couple different things going on one is to remind your base which is probably in certain social media and not heavily in others to come back and then what's going on and there's a lifestyle brand and I'm assuming you have another set of objectives to get people to come and sample and and do that how do you think about your marketing side which is your primary hat as to how to work with your different audience desires
1: right I am in Facebook and Google intimately every (laughs) single day (laughs) I don't know if that's something to be proud of but um, it's one of the things that I do every day um, and depending on the objective and you're right there there are multi-faceted objectives um, where I work at the opera and it does go to, for example, Facebook. You know, we want to let people know that there is, you know, the newest opera is coming if they don't already have their tickets, or if it's something that they're that they're interested in. Um, so you and have you, to. And you sell
0: tickets way in advance. Yes. There's a whole season sale aspect.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So we do have a model still of subscribers. You know, that will buy a full season of opera, which is usually six to seven operas uh, throughout an opera season. Which runs about September to June, so we have that base. We also have different, you know, different packages of people that could just buy three operas or four operas. Um, we have newcomer packages, so we try to build these sales models so people have an option of what to buy. They don't have to buy all six, or they can. Um, They can add on different, you know, different one off kind of concerts that we have. Um, So, yeah, there's different ways to think about it and then different targets you have to do. And when it comes down to the um, when it comes down to the day to day of drilling and targeting those people on digital ads, um, that is something that I have to do all the time. And if we have, for example, as I mentioned, the simulcast, which is a completely free event, you know, that's our opportunity to reach out to people who have never been to opera, who maybe indicated that they are interested um, through what they're searching or what they're looking at, um, or they've attended a classical event with some kind of opera component to, to it. So you look at all those things and through your keywords or your remarketing, um, you can target those people and try to get your message out. And also look at lookalike audiences. So if if I get
0: this type of persona uh, that is my existing customers to look on how to match that, how do you look at things like that?
1: So for lookalike audiences, um, it would be people as broad as people who are interested in classical music. Uh, like the person we were talking to just before, <laughs> um, you know, people who like classical music may or may not have experienced opera. And, you know, that would be a lookalike audience, people who like that type of genre of music um, or people that like to go to live events. Um, there are people who just like to experience theater live. So those types of attributes we can filter into our, you know, digital targeting and try to reach out to those people.
0: So i just gotten back, we were, were talking here in March of 2019. I just got back from South by Southwest and went to a really interesting session about tourism and music and how to get the information for what people are wanting to do when they come to a city like Los Angeles to know what the opportunity is. How does tourism tie in with what you're doing or is that more of an, a fresher opportunity to think about how to time someone's trip with what they're doing here or is this mostly an LA living opportunity
1: well we definitely we definitely prioritize um, reaching out to Angelinos to attend the opera but in fact we have a we have a visitor package People who are out of town that could come—we have an actual package for that. People come out of town. We have a package, for and that. you know, we partner with hotels, and they can get their opera tickets. They can stay at a local hotel and have a whole experience in downtown LA. Um, but that is definitely an area that could grow with what you talked about at the convention. You know, people want to visit new cities and experience all different types of experiences in a city and Los Angeles has so much to offer that you know on one visit you can just do the beach and the next visit you can just you know do the hills and then the next visit you can come downtown and experience all that downtown has to offer Um, so yeah it's definitely an area of growth and has what you're doing changed though
0: I know that you've have a certain time period where you've been there with the changing flavor of downtown Los Angeles. Because when you talk about what, what downtown LA has to offer, downtown LA is hopping in crazy right now, which is not what downtown LA was not that many years ago. So is it that it's part of people's downtown LA experience? Because um, it almost used to be an island of activity down there.
1: Yes, I, Gigi, I've been here for 20 years and downtown LA was definitely a very different beast back then Um, but you're right there's been a lot of progress a lot of building a lot of residents as well have have moved to downtown LA and you know with the Broad Museum and MoCA and of course um, LA Phil and the Walt Disney Concert Hall and the Amundsen Theater um, you know we are a strong group of arts down there that you can experience in one day a couple of days you know you can go easily from the theater to see a dance show to see the opera to see the philharmonic and then visit the uh, visual arts institutions that are there and have you know have a great meal while downtown so the location has definitely come around 360 you know 360 degrees and it's definitely right time right place um and so there there are advantages that we have in that regards. For for targeting, you know, sometimes I do uh, geofencing. So now, we haven't talked much about geofencing. Okay. When you start out and say what is geofencing? So geofencing is a form of digital advertising where you can actually fence the location of basically how far in a radius you want to go. So since L.A. is so large, and if even if you're 16 miles away or 18 miles away, um, sometimes it could take an hour, an hour and a half to get downtown. Easily. Easily. It can take an hour and a half to so, get downtown. That's
0: why we talk in time, not miles in L.A. Exactly. We talk about it's half an
1: hour, not that it's 10 miles. Right. So, you know, as I had mentioned, there are a lot of new residents downtown, and residents that live down there, they want they want to do something within that area. So I... Do geofencing on particular operas, um, and I will only fence, you know, one mile radius, two mile radius, and that can be hundreds of thousands of people in Los Angeles, um, you know, because it'll co- encompass not just downtown, like a little bit of Silver Lake, Echo Park um, areas to the east and the west, uh, USC area. So there are a lot of people in that concentrated area where I can maximize my dollars and hopefully serve ads up to them, you know, telling them about the latest opera that we we have.
0: Do you do A-B testing, so you're seeing what's working and how do you think about that with opera marketing?
1: Absolutely. Um, We do a lot of A-B testing in regards to our creative. Um, You know, it's such a visual world now and you only have really a couple of seconds to... Get the attention of somebody in their feed or, um, you know, if they're reading something and an interstitial ad comes up or we retarget them. So we have done A-B testing in regards to our creative and it works. You know, you can see, you know, what types of um, photos work or video or even, you know, the way we lay lay out uh, the text or the print of our of our um, ads to see if it's working or not, or what responds better than other things.
0: So I sheepishly must say that I think the la- I, I went to LA Opera last year, but I've not gone much in the past few years. And I'm not remembering though, if LA Opera is part of the, the ecosystem or movement to be banning smartphones and cell phones usage during the performance. Do you guys have people essentially creating shareable media on their own?
1: We do, and we're we're we've definitely taken more steps in that. We have um, events and opportunities where we invite um, influencers um, who live tweet during. um, So these are opera influencers or cultural influence.
0: I'm fascinated by the thought of opera influencers. These are
1: cultural and lifestyle influencers influencers who we usually reach out to, and that's our social media manager. Um, and so we invite these folks, and some of them have never been to opera, which is an exciting thing for us, is to get an influencer's take on how it was experiencing opera. So we give them the opportunity to come, and they can live tweet and, and send, the, send their messages out on how they're doing, experiencing opera for the first time. And we've had very, very positive experiences with that. Um so yeah, we're we're slowly taking baby steps to try to see how we can do more of that. Um, you know, we do have the standard step and repeat, and um, you know, we ask people to share and tag us in regards to the opera experience, and then you know that is as we know, you know, word of mouth. Um, posting stuff on your social media that's that's more powerful than any ad that you can buy we actually had two ladies come as influencers and they experienced um, both the dining out and then the attending of the opera um, just the other night for uh, the Clemency of Titus which is our current opera uh, Mozart opera and you know they They did everything from post about, you know, coming downtown and then, you know, experiencing the local uh, dining that they had and, you know, taking their picture in front of, you know, the opera house. So all of that was was really, really fun and and interesting to have. And again, it helps us also try to accomplish um, reaching another demographic and broadening our audience um, for those people who are even curious about opera. Mm-hmm. They can see from people like influencers or regular everyday folks who post that, you know, they went to the opera so so can you, you know, and mm-hmm. it's a fun time and you can get dressed up or you can come casually. I mean, it's just it's just a fun time and a great night out in Los Angeles.
0: Dorothy Chandler is one of the nice uh, grand dames of, of what we've got, but it's sort of interesting as what we have in physical spaces of music in LA, and a lot of things are beginning to happen in new physical spaces. So, maybe that's a whole other competitive part and what it means to be opera in LA is that there's it's not just competing with Netflix or traditional spaces, but you have whole new areas of whether it's pop ups or warehouse parties or. Um, parties in the desert or whatever is happening with things that people have many different ways they can use the physical space available to do concerts.
1: Yeah. And I think that really speaks to, you know, people want to experience things together in person. I mean, there are definite times that you want to go binge watch in your pajamas, you know, uh, with your Netflix show. But there are also times... Or Hulu. Or Hulu. Or YouTube. I will sit in front of YouTube for way too long. Exactly. But there are other times, and it's human nature, that you want to go out and be with other people and experience something as a whole. And I think that's why uh, things like the opera has survived for so long, um, philharmonic, but then that branches out into... Uh, you know, going out to the desert and experiencing something like Coachella or Stagecoach. It's, again, it's that simple idea that humans want to experience things together. Uh, again, that's not just music or art, it's baseball games or, you know, even going to the movie theater. I think, you know, even though the world is more digital, I think it even increases the need for more personal or, general collective experience um, of hu- being next to another human and leaning over and saying, Wow, that's really cool. Or, I
0: wish I could make that outfit and wear that around from that beautiful opera costume. Exactly. But actually, that does bring then another kind of digital question. So, I am a geek and I go to things alone, but a lot of people don't. So, I'm assuming opera is not an individually digested experience, that most people don't buy single tickets.
1: Well, in regards to one ticket, mm-hmm. um, no, we see a lot of people buying you know at least a pair of tickets you know we have families that come they buy four tickets so you're so. marketing
0: to a group experience by one purchaser so it's sort of interesting influencing someone to influence their own immediate group so you're actually having to maybe target market the purchaser versus the goer
1: yeah, it could be both too I mean um you know, as we know in most households, the women hold the purchase power in the household, and that's you know, especially for creative arts. Engagement. Exactly, mm-hmm. and that's that's been proven surveys and whatnot. Um, so we do definitely target um, those folks as the influencer in their household to buy. But you know, if there are there are different aspects, if someone's a Mozart fan or someone is you know, a Puccini fan, uh, someone's Italian language speaker, you know, there are so many different ways to target your audience. Um, and for opera, thankfully, there are so many avenues to go that it's not just the purchaser because that's when you definitely want them to do the transaction, but there's so much more to market in regards to the opera. Um, and so it's reaching and building that awareness again, through the clutter of everything else that a consumer has to choose from, especially in Los Angeles. That's the definite challenge every day. And a lot of it for what
0: you're doing is recall. So your your brand awareness is one element, and then recall to remind you to come back to the opera. Um, is there anything that are, uh, when you think of when you do a retargeting or other things to sort of bring people back into the fold? Is there any kind of secret sauce or thought process there? I wish I knew the answer
1: to that. But definitely retargeting is a, an amazing tool, um, both at Google and Facebook, using those platforms, um, advertising. It's an amazing tool and a powerful tool. Um, so basically, for those folks that don't know, if you visit a website, um, there's a tiny pixel there. there's a tiny tiny pixel there so a code that says hey Gigi visited the LA Opera site and then and then if you go to go search for something else you'll start to see ads that will follow you around basically So the opera's chasing me yes
0: it's not just Tom's shoes or whatever exactly. else exactly is chasing me as exactly. well
1: exactly and again re, um, you know Remarketing and retargeting is a very very powerful and efficient tool to use um, for any any advertiser.
0: So um, I have a couple more questions. Um, One is, what is the brand? I know this is probably something you guys talk about internally. So you have LA Opera, which has certain personalities tied to its brand who are sort of maybe sub-brands or awareness markers. You have the Opera as a brand and you possibly have the performers in the opera as a brand. How do you think about sharing and showing and describing and marketing when you've got sort of layers, you know, sort of the intel inside? But it could be you know having pieces of this that might be different fan bases or marketing messages. How do you kind of coordinate that?
1: With a lot of work, <laughs> um, like you said. I mean. The opera, be, again, being a nonprofit, we're challenged with and gifted with having a lot of avenues to target different folks with different attributes. And um, you know, building the brand for any organization, any business is always very important, so you have that. Um, and then just making people aware of your product or what you're offering is second as well and you just have to prioritize you know in our meetings we think about you know what a certain opera and it changes you know it changes by the genre of what it is, what kind of opera we're offering and then what kind of opportunities we have and based on budget and time and all that and limited resources, what can we do to best serve and get the message out there about the opera? So the answer is it depends. It depends on what we're offering, um, what the goal is, um, and then what type of people we will bring which is again our base but also how can we grow our audience you know is this an opportunity to reach out to people we've never reached out you know to before how is
0: the um i was actually torn between saying glut and abundance of streaming music impacting what you can do target audiences interest i i know that classical music overall has a beast of a time with discovery issues with the streaming services and in part because you know how do you differentiate the same um, classical music piece between different orchestras and cities and incarnations of it how do you I'm assuming things like opera on streaming services can help you drive audience or is it a complementary a replacement good how do you how does streaming feed you or not feed you?
1: So streaming is an area that we're still um, trying to build upon. Um, in regards to the streaming services, I don't know that it's I don't know that the audience is best served right now. I think it's an area that's definitely an opportunity that can grow. Um, but definitely the streaming services, you know, serve more towards, you know, pop music, hip hop, other types of genres of music. And, you know, classical is probably a smaller piece of their pie in that regards. Um, but Are you able to drive, though, from a streaming listen to an opera ticket purchase? We have experimented with different, um, with different outlets on that. But you know, we're limited in regards to the funds. Sometimes these places require, um, you know, minimal spend. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have it and sometimes we don't. And so that, in that regards, it's a challenge.
0: And then on the other end of the spectrum, on the sexy end of the spectrum, uh, email. So I'm assuming email, especially for your core demographics, is still the bread and butter of how in the world you work with and find I am also assuming that you're working to tie it together with the CRM customer relationship management system so you actually can see how email threads with everything else. What is your secret sauce or or biggest concerns with email marketing and Opera?
1: So email marketing is great in targeting um, the core audience that we have, the people who have opted in and all of that. but email in the future, as we know, for the consumers who are younger, the millennial, the millennial group, you know, some of them don't pay attention to email. You know, some of them don't even open email. So a challenge to any marketers: How do you, for a company that, um, that is a big part of our communication with our audience, what other ways can we communicate with them and get our information out to them? Um, so that's something that we look at every single day. And then do you have fan groups that you work with? Do we have fan groups? Yeah, I wish we did. <laughs> there, are, Honestly, there are lots of fans, and there are huge supporters of um, everything from the opera itself to performers, you know, like any rock group or you know, that's out there, there are fans of certain opera performers. So, you know, we can definitely work with those folks and activate them if we're presenting one of the performers that that have an active fan group. So, yeah, that, that does exist in opera as well. I, and I must
0: admit, until I started teaching internet marketing and branding for musicians at UCLA nine years ago, I was not all that aware, and I've generally had at least one opera performer in every class. And I really have to sit down and go, I mean, it's a really different – it's a different talent marketing experience in the fact that, I mean, in many ways, they're booking years in advance to be parts of things and, and looking at a much longer trajectory on the fan engagement. So it's just really interesting in looking at that and the whole gender side of it. There's also – that could be an entire podcast conversation oh, yeah, all absolutely. by itself.
1: Absolutely.
0: So we're, I've, I've bent your ear for a long period of time here, and we've talked.
1: Anything you would
0: like to share we haven't talked about so far as we wrap up?
1: Um, yeah, you know, one of the things that I try to do, um, you know, other than keep up on the what's happening every day with Facebook and Google, is I try to think about how can we propel an art form like opera? Um, and I've done the, this Kind of throughout my career how can we propel a certain genre of music um, but continue to marry technology into that so one of the things i've been doing and uh, when we met recently at the uh, at the conference is that you know i've been exploring it's probably the best word to use exploring vr and ar opportunities for the opera i think it's fascinating Um, the technology that's out there. I may be a little bit behind the eight ball in that regards because I know it's been happening for years and years. But I think about a live live performance like opera and something like VR and just thinking about what great opportunity that could be. Or augmenting the experience.
0: I mean, in many ways, AR is... Oh, Vera is going through all sorts of um, self-induced damage on, um, on on too much of a hype cycle on this current incarnation, but there's some really interesting things happening in an era of Pokemon Go not being a failure despite what people say, and about mm-hmm. to launch Harry Potter right now, of her in Niantic. That you know, there's things to be done as an augmenting experience that are um, potentially having some interesting ground speed. So, ways to have additional visuals or additional layers of experience in, in, in an environment we already have super titles, could be something really interesting. Yeah, it could so be distracting. really interesting.
1: I think there's definitely something there, there, and I would love to see if that could even be a reality. Um, that type of stuff gets me excited of marrying, you know, again, a very hundreds and hundreds year old art form with the newest technology that's out there. And that's how you become innovative and bring something that's old to a new audience in a new way. So those types of things excite me. Um, Will it ever happen? I don't know. But I love to explore the ideas, you know, talk about it internally with the powers that be. Uh, You know, again, nonprofit, we always have challenges on the day-to-day. But um, those are the types of things that I like to look at. I guess I have one
0: wrap-around
1: question then.
0: How do you get inspired by innovations with other opera
1: companies around the world? You know, we always, you know, opera is a very friendly landscape. um, And what people may not realize is there are opera companies in every major city across the world. Um, I don't know if people realize it. And opera houses across the world. So, uh, you know, obviously on all different levels, and maybe in marketing, I have the opportunity to talk with people in Germany and London, Australia, and, you know, find out of how other opera companies are uh, innovating, doing new things, and, you know, sharing that kind of, you know, mind share of ideas to try to keep um, opera in the forefront of a consumer's mind, you know, that that would like to enjoy opera. So there's a lot of sharing out there, a lot of ideas. Again, there's always a challenge of resources and time and not enough people to execute, but it's always good to talk about it because one day it could happen and then there you are, and all of a sudden a whole new art form is born You know, with the marrying of tech and something like opera. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much.
0: Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites and you can find those in the show notes.